Read along with me. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches in Galatia, so you must also do. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, well, then they will go with me. Now, I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a long while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for this beautiful text, like all other scripture, packed with the power of heaven, encrusted and engulfed in the glory of who you are, the love and the calling you place on man. Lord, I pray that your grace would be clear tonight, that your love would be clear tonight, that your call for a sinner to repent and receive your gift of the cross and resurrection would be clear tonight, that your calling on the believer would be clear tonight, that your calling on us as human beings to respond to you and to walk deeper and more meaningfully and more intimate with you than ever before. Oh God, please let it be so. And I thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you another day. I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in your scripture now. And I thank you for your amazing love for us. So, Lord, teach us in this time, I pray. And, Lord, for those who are tired, exhausted, even suffering in all kinds of weird ways, from asthma to running noses to itchy skin and all kinds of crazy things, Lord, whatever is going on, would you just subside it all while we are in your Scripture so that we're not distracted from what you want to do? But Lord, speak to every one of us where we need to hear you. Lord, where we crave to hear you. That we could say, the Lord spoke to my heart this evening. And I thank you, Lord, for the blessing of every listening ear here today. And by the way, can I just say, mine are listening too. So Lord, teach me now, I pray. Lead us. Teach us. Instruct us, encourage us, fortify us, equip us for every good work. Do the work that you plan. And Lord, redeem every second, we pray. Fill me with your spirit now. Immerse me (coughs) that you would be seen, that your glory would shine through, and that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. So we commit this and myself in this time and this scripture to you and ourselves. Jesus, in your name. Amen. I would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority. Not some man or some fancy anything. The scripture has been tried and true. And even in this text, God has lots to say to each of us. Now notice how chapter 16 starts with the words, Now concerning. Those are the very same words that he will use in 7.1, 8.1, and 12.1. Three different other chapters prior to this point. And let me kind of clear up again, and I know this is probably review for a lot of you. Good. Well, that just means you'll understand and know it better. But the book of 1 Corinthians is a very tidy book. Written, by the way, five years, roughly five years after the man who planted the church in Corinth had actually learned about the the state of the church on the next mission trip he was on. It's on his third mission trip. He's in Ephesus. He's made that clear in our text here. He seems to get a letter from Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, three guys who show up now and basically tell him that the church is in trouble. And they have this, in, in essence, Pastor Paul becomes physician Paul as he starts to hear the concerns of this church. And it really breaks up into two simple areas. Paul's prognosis and di- diagnosis and prescription. That's the first six chapters. He says, this is the basic problem for the church. And I love the fact that he doesn't just say, here's a bunch of symptoms. Let's deal with all of our symptoms. And there are three very, very clear symptoms. People are suing each other, which, by the way, I don't know if you're aware of this. Scripturally, no Christian should sue another Christian. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, whether that's mom or stepmom, it doesn't matter, it's gross. And the church 
is applauding it because they're so proud of being sexually tolerant. And he calls that a problem, by the way. And there are divisions. The people are running around saying, I belong to this person. Well, I listen to this guy on the radio. Well, I go to this church. I am a this, I am a that. But it isn't about Jesus. It's about somebody else and about their gig, their deal. That, those are the symptoms. And like any doctor, he looks at symptoms and then says, well, what does this equate? What is the sum of this? And he says, well, that's quite simple. You guys are carnal. And understand, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, and prayerfully you have, if you haven't, I'll give you that opportunity before the night's up. If you've given your life, if you've accepted the gift, Jesus died on the cross for your and my guilt, for our sin, for our shame, for our filth, rose again on the third day to give us brand new life, and then invites us to simply receive that gift, declaring him Savior and Lord, handing our lives over to him and letting him do with them as he wishes which then he promises to make us brand new creations, that we would be born again, adopted by the Father himself. That's where we go. And if you've accepted that gift, God's intent then, from the moment you received the gift of Jesus, God placed within you his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 makes that clear. And as that is the case then, that, he, that Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you, proceeds to make you more like Jesus from the inside out. That is what he is doing. So I would expect, unless you are fighting the work of God in your life, that a year from now you'll look more like Jesus than you did a year ago. Or even now, for that matter. And so one would expect the church to grow. Not numerically, because that's the world system for success. Our mission here is not to grow a church. Our mission is to grow Christians. Our mission is to go into the world and preach the gospel and then make disciples. And then see them raised up to go and do the same. It's quite simple. There's, it's not in the name of, of Chuck, Pastor Chuck. It's not in the name of Calvary Chapel. It's not in the name of me by any means. It's not in the name of anything. It's in the name of Jesus or, not, or none of this is worth anything. And understand, Paul says, here's the problem. You guys are spiritually retarded. That's the simplest truth. You are developmentally disabled when it comes to the spiritual matters. You should by now have grown out of this. Hey, as a baby, you cry all the time. You don't communicate why. The parents have to guess. But crying is a clear indicator of a lot of things. Maybe they've decided to go to the toilet. Of course, there they do it right where they're at. Maybe they're hungry. Maybe they're tired. Maybe all of those. But as you get older, sooner or later, you've got to leave the nappies behind and stop crying for somebody to feed you. You would expect to grow in those matters. Well, that's the problem with the church. So for the first six chapters, he addresses the problem, gets down to the core of it. You're carnal. You need to surrender to Jesus Christ and let him grow you into his image and not into the world's image that you're around. And that's the first six chapters. But starting in chapter seven, he says, now concerning the things he wrote to me. So when the letter came from these three guys, what it seems quite clear is the first portion is the church is a mess. It's a three ring circus. This is what's happening. What do you have to say about it? But then it's like, hey, we were sitting around and we have a bunch of questions we want to ask you. For instance, what about marriage? Can we still get married? Is that okay? Which, by the way, he does say is cool. Praise the Lord for that. He also, what about meat sacrifice to idols? I mean, what do we do with that? What about the communion table? What does that look like? What about the roles of men and women in church? What about spiritual gifts? How does that look? And so Paul, starting in chapter 7, chips away at these questions one at a time. As a matter of fact, starting in chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Now concerning the things you wrote to me. And then he starts addressing the area of marriage. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now concerning things offered to idols. Now that you've asked that, now I'll answer it. In chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts. Let me address that area. So, understand, all of this subject matter was matter asked by the church to Pastor Paul about these issues. Does that make sense, everyone? And I remind you, this was the guy that planted the church. He has a relationship with these guys. They trust him, and so they're asking for his advice. Now, if you know that when you get to chapter 16, it says, now concerning the collection for the saints, sounds to me like, again, he's answering a question. How do we handle this? This was not Paul imposing a commandment or a law upon the church. They had a heart to give. They just wanted to know how, what was the best way to do it. 
Now understand, that becomes one of the cool things about serving Jesus, about falling in love with Christ and letting him fulfill every hole in you. Because when he starts to do that in your life, you give a lot more. And I'm not talking about to the church. You give a lot more in life. As a matter of fact, what what we read, the same guy will write, He who steals, let him steal no more, but rather let him work with his hands that he would have something to give to those in need. I like that. He's like, when is a thief not a thief? Not when he stops stealing, but rather when he starts giving. When he starts working with his hands and on his job, and then he starts giving. So understand, when Paul is addressing this issue, now if this is your first time here, you're like, oh, this is one of those churches where every week they talk about giving to the church. Well, let me just say, no. And you can ask anyone who comes. They haven't been programmed to answer that question. Read the rest of the book, and you can see we just address what's coming up. Guess what we're going to talk about next week, where we left off this week. We'll talk about Timothy. And that's assuming we get through all this text. So understand here, he starts talking about the collection. Notice it says, for the saints, not for the church. What in the world is he talking about? Well, let me back you up a little bit. And again, Don't just believe me because I say so. Search the scriptures and prove it right or wrong yourself. Back in the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 27, Paul now at this point is pastoring a church in Antioch, Syria, 200 miles north of Jerusalem. And there is a prophet named, for what it's worth, named Agabus. And Agabus is sort of the show and tell prophet. You read about him at least twice in the book of Acts. Perhaps you're familiar with the second time when he takes Paul's belt and he hogties himself. And then he says, the owner of this belt is going to be tied up just the same way. He's a show and tell kind of prophet. Even if you didn't speak the language, you might have got it by charades. Here, notice what it says in Acts 11. If you want to turn there, if if you're in the book of 1 Corinthians, go to the left. It's Romans and then the book of Acts. So it's fairly simple. It's two books over. Acts chapter 11, verse 27, it says this. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now, how do you... Listen listen to what he did. He stood up and showed... By the Spirit, there was going to be a great famine. How do you do that? Do you kind of go... How do you show there's going to be a great famine? But he did. Did he bring out a flannel graph? Or did he use sock puppets? We really don't know. All we know is he's the show-and-tell prophet. And here he is saying there's going to be a great famine. Now, understand, this is a prophet you trust. So a guy stands up and says, I want to warn you, around the world right now, there is going to be a famine coming up. Then it says, notice the next verse, verse 29. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And thus they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Paul, Saul, same guy, 200 miles north, the guy comes up there, starts to show and tell there's going to be a great famine, you need to know about it. Our response is, we need to do something to help. So each according to our own ability, let's do a collection, let's do whatever is necessary, and let's get some money down there. But notice where it went. It did not go to a relief organization. It did not go to a group of people you've never met. It did not go to someone you texted because you saw something heart-wrenching on the tube. Where it went was to the church. It went to the church in Jerusalem so that the church could be used to bless the community when the famine hit. Can I just say it as plainly as I can? A tragedy hits we throw a few pounds in the coin for some place where we think someone's going to do something to help about it is just flat out lazy. If what we really want are for people to come to know Jesus, and that is our burning desire, we will seek to see the church raise up and be the help that that community needs. When the horrible earthquake hit in Haiti, the ministry went to the churches that were there. 
when a terrible famine hit in the area of Dodoma, just in the area, sort of in the center of Tanzania, we went and reached out to the churches. When the tsunami hit in the southern coast of Thailand, we reached out to the ministries we knew and trusted there so that an entire city could be rebuilt on the south side of Thailand. And the great part is the people would say, Jesus built this city. Now understand, this is not because what we don't want to do is help people. We want to help them in every way, not just in some ways. And there are groups out there. Do you know why those groups exist? Because the church isn't doing what the church should do. If the church did what the church should do, they wouldn't exist because they wouldn't need to exist. So understand, when a famine hits and a tragedy hits and a disaster hits, part of what we do is we start to find out who do we know or who can we get a hold of that loves the Lord because the purpose is that they could be used then to feed the people, to strengthen the people, to rebuild the town, but also to preach Jesus. Could you see the difference? And that's what these guys did. When they heard there was going to be a famine, it isn't like they didn't want the people fed. That's why they collected the money in the first place. They wanted the people fed, but they wanted them fed by people they knew would love the people. And because they loved the people, they would want to get Jesus to them. So they took a collection. Now, that famine lasts for quite a while, by the way. In Acts chapter 24, when Paul gives his testimony in verse 17, he says, Now after many years I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. In Romans chapter 15, verse 25 and 26, Paul says to the Romans, But now I go to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it has pleased them of Macedonia, which is the northern lip of the Aegean Bay, and of Achaia, which is the area of Greece, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints who are at Jerusalem. So understand, we're in the middle of that right now in this letter. And that hole where it says, it is, notice it says again, again Romans 15.25 or 15.26, when it says it has pleased those of Macedonia and Achaia. Achaia is where Corinth is. So when he says, now concerning the collection of the saints here, a collection for the saints, understand here, what he's doing is quite simple. He's like, I know that you want to help. I expect you to help. I expect you to jump in on this thing. Now, I expect you to jump in on this because this is a golden opportunity to help Christians in need so that the Christians could be raised up then and to help others in need. That's what we should be doing. So as a result of that, but remember, this is a carnal church. He says, so here's the deal. I'm going to show you how to best do this for the purpose of helping them. But as I show you how to do this, I want you to recognize in the end of it all, I want you to have a couple guys you trust that you can send down there. And if you need, I'll go down there, too, if you don't really trust anyone. And if the church is as much of a mess as it is, it could be very likely that there's nobody in the church that even trusts to send it down there. So listen to what he says. <coughs> On the first day of the week. That's Sunday. That's pretty easy. And that's, by the way. One day we're clear that Christians assemble to worship. Let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Notice, and I'm going to go through each line of this. By the way, this doesn't, this doesn't say you, this says us. You're aware of that, right? That's me too. On the first day of the week. So on Sunday, we know that. That's kind of how this plays out, that people are going to start giving. Let each one of you. Do you see that there in verse 2? Now, if this is hard to listen to, you should imagine it's even harder for me to say. But I don't have a vested interest. I don't work off of commission here. I don't even get paid. I'm not, I'm not legally allowed to get paid by the church. So when he says each person, he expects that every person in the church that is really genuinely Christian should really want to do something about this. And everybody should give. It doesn't say let everyone tithe here. Did you notice that? It doesn't say let everyone give a tenth. It doesn't say let everyone make sure they donate their Rolex or their Bentley or whatever. It says, listen, let every person get involved in this. And there is something about being involved that makes it so that when something cool comes about, you've been an investor. Now, understand, in the end of it all, every one of us are going to be investors in something or some things. Each one of us are going to spend time in places we've invested time. We're going to spend energy. Some of us or many of us will spend creativity. 
We will ponder how to make things better. We'll use our minds to be able to invest in something to better it. Some of us will invest our resources. We'll invest our hearts. We'll invest our life. And in the end of it all, what is the payoff? What is it worth? If our entire life has spent trying to gain something that in the end, even by the time we get it, isn't worth anything. I had a person that I knew that was here and involved in the ministry around us. And they couldn't wait. The iPhone, um, I guess it was the iPhone 4 had come out. And they were so excited. And they were starting to save up for it. And they saved up for it. And they saved up for it. And they saved up for it. But by the time they came up with the money, the iPhone 5 came out. And they didn't even want the iPhone 4 anymore. Now, the only reason I say that is, is that there's so many things that sound so great at the moment, but they don't even last. And those are temporary things of the world that are like that. But when it comes to the all areas of the world, sooner or later, God's going to show us how to lay up our treasures in heaven. And by the way, again, we make no collection. Even as Paul tells us here, there's no such thing to do. But this is what happens, is that God wants every one of us involved in investing in the kingdom of God. Not just financially, but investing in the, the kingdom of God as Christians with our hearts, with our time, with the talents He's given us, with our wherewithal, whatever He's given us, God wants to use it. And here's the simplest truth. When we said yes to Jesus, we, we said, you have me, and if you have me, everything that is attached to me should be yours as well, right? Or you don't have me. The question is, are we really investors or are we consumers? A consumer comes to give as little as possible and get as much as they can. That's what a consumer does. An investor gives for the purpose of seeing something benefit. And then with that, then, cashes in on the benefit, on the fruit of it, on the fruit of that labor. Let each one of you lay aside something. Lay something aside. Take the responsibility. Notice, don't wait till someone asks you. Lay it aside. So what happens is you have to seek the Lord. You actually have to listen to God tell you. And that's fun, by the way. Every time I walk by some guy that's got his hand out, his cup out, there's a prayer lifted up. Every time that I'm aware that the guy's there. Or gal. Can you give me some money? Can you give me whatever? You know. There are times where, you know, I'll say, well, what's the money for? I haven't eaten in three days. Well, let me get you a sandwich. No, I don't want a sandwich. Wow. I thought you'd be hungry after not eating for three days. And there are times where someone's like, you know, I just need this. Well, let me help you get that. And there are times where the Lord's like, don't even stop. Give them the time of day. Let them find out what their name is. Pray for them. But trust me, I'm in control here. And there's something about listening. That you don't beat yourself up at the end of the night. Like, Lord, I just want to give. I want to give what you want me to give when you want me to give it. But notice it says he lays something aside, storing up as he may prosper. In other words, in proportion to his own blessing. As God adds blessings to your life, then you add in your giving too. That there be no collections when I come. Paul's intent is that you would never have to pass a hat or worse yet, a gold-plated, real fancy, red velvet bag. You ever seen those? Now, I don't want to pick on any other church or anything because I don't know who does those, but there's something a little weird about me putting money in something that like costs an awful lot of money to get for collecting money. We have been, I've been in the, a pastor for Shoreline Calvary Chapel. We planted the first Shoreline Calvary Chapel 22 years ago, 23 years ago. And I'm comfortable to tell you we have never ever passed anything. Flyers, maybe. Bulletins, yes. We have never. There's a box in the back. It's his offerings. That's all there's ever been. By God's grace, no one's ever stolen it. <clears throat> They've, here's the funny thing. About a month ago, someone stole the backpack it, it gets stored in. There you go. Pray for them. In this, understand, the purpose is this. That we want to make sure we give you an opportunity to do what God tells you. Now, I want you to know this. When I first planted our first church 22 years ago, however long ago that was, maybe more. I'm so bad with details like that. That's why I married the guy I did. One of the reasons. 
For the first year, I didn't even let people give because I was so determined to show we were different. I was like, you know, I was so determined to be different. I was proud of it, which was where the sin came in. And people are like, let me give. No, 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 no. We're not a church that takes money. No, 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 no. no. Just, you know, people always say they want your money. I don't want your money. I don't want your money. To this day, I still don't look at what people give. That's a requirement for me. So I was like, whatever you give or don't give, I'm going to love you the same, just so you know. So don't even try to show me your checks or not, whatever. I, I'm not going to look. My goal is to love you because Christ loves you. Just the same. And I had a, a pastor that was from Hawaii, a friend of ours named Alan. And Alan's one of those kind of guys that we used to call nosebleed truth. Does that make sense? Like when he tells you the truth, you got like punched in the face with it. That's this guy. But the problem is, he's Hawaiian, so he's like, yo, bra. You know, and he kind of a little bit of pigeon bra. You know, he talk a little bit like pigeon bra. You know, and he's like, how do you get punched in the face by a guy that talks like that? Oh, well, it happened. And he's like, he pulled me aside in that bright, you know, one of those shirts, you know, that you can that you buy and people go, oh, you've been to the tropics, you know, and it's like, you know something that looks like the cover of a real, you know, something. And he's like, hey, bro, you are robbing people of blessing. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? He's like, they want to give because God's telling them to give, bro. And you don't let them give. You don't let them bless. You're robbing them of blessing, bro. I went. Oh, gosh, I didn't really think of it that way. I just thought I was being really cool for telling people not to give. It's like, but what if the Lord puts it on their heart? Now, please hear me. While we were there, there were a couple places in this tiny little community that we lived in. There was a senior center, which would have been the most packed place because I think we were about 90% people, 90 years old and older. And uh, one day someone broke into the senior center and stole the money from this place. Now, I don't know who did that, of course. But that week, we went and we took, and there were two Christians that were working at that senior center. And so what we did is we decided we would go and we'd take the entire offering and we would bring it to the senior center to try to help them get their stuff back. But we gave it to the Christians that we knew were working there so that they could preach the gospel. And it was so beautiful to listen to them. They're like, the, my boss, who would never listen to me share before this point, gave me total audience. And by the time we were done, within a month, every person that was working there had given their life to Christ. And it was such a... And here's the cool thing. Is that, you know, it's like, in the end of it, who cares? It was some money. But if that's where it went, praise the Lord. Because it helped people that were in need. It was just that simple. So listen, he says, I don't want there to be a collection. Because isn't it awkward? It's like, I mean, I, I remember those days when you'd pass the thing and it's like, I've been at like these, you know, totally wonky church services where I'm like, the last thing I want to do is support this place. But I still put my hand in as if I put something in there because I feel like it's weird if people don't see me do that. I mean, is that weird? I'm like, well, there you go. You know, it's just nothing, nothing in there. You know, it's like, and it's like I remember seeing a cartoon where someone like two kids were passing that and one kid looked at the other one. He's like, I got five bucks. How much did you get? You know, like, that's not the point. Now, here's the point of all of this. As the church is asking, how do we do this? And he's saying, stop making it awkward and weird for people. You guys are already carnal. You guys are already competing. That's part of the nature of what happens here because you're spiritually stunted. So <clears throat> what I want you to do is I want you to actually seek the Lord. Could you imagine actually seeking the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you want to do? If I have it, what do you want to do with it? <clears throat> if I have a talent, what do you want to do with it? If I have time, what do you want to do with it? If I have skills, what do you want to do with it? If I'm social or I'm intellectual or I'm artistic or I'm athletic, what do you want to do with it? And it is so cool to watch when somebody's gifted a bit at football and how they wind up someplace and sharing Jesus because other kids there have died to have somebody their age play football with them. Or places where you go, and even if you're not extremely gifted in music, but you sure have a heart for it, you just go up and you start playing and the crowd gathers and you share Christ with them because that's a place where people just don't get that. In some places, to be honest, it's actually you're good with a hammer and you help build something, but you do it in the name of Jesus. And the whole point of it is, if you actually go to the Lord and you're like, Lord... I want to be honest to say it's all yours. What do you want to do with it? And you don't hear anything. And stop freaking out about it. He knows how to get a hold of you. Just continue to listen. The problem is, is that I need to have my heart ready. So when the Lord says, now, and you're like, now? This isn't the moment for that. And the Lord's like, yes, it is. So verse 3. So no hat passing. Don't ever expect it here. Hey, whether you give or you don't, that's between you and the Lord. The text is here for this purpose. 
But listen, it is clear, by the way, that God calls to that. But Paul will, by the way, also talk about his own support, so don't miss that. Verse 3, it says, And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift. Hey, look at it. If you've got guys you trust, send them to Jerusalem. That's where the need is. Go send them down there. But if it's fitting that I go also, well then, if you really need me to go, I'll go too. <clears throat> now, I will come to you, verse 5, when I pass through Macedonia, because I am passing through Macedonia. It would be weird for him to say, I will come and visit you, or I could come come to you when I pass through Macedonia, and he doesn't. We can all agree on that. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you. That, notice in verse 6, that you may send me on my journey. Now, how would they send him on his journey? Paul is looking for his own fortification. He knows part of that is I may spend the winter with you so that you can stock me up and prepare me so that I can continue on my journey. Now, Paul knows that. Now, what's interesting because Paul doesn't say, look, at, I planted this church. You guys got saved through my ministry. Just give like you're supposed to. He doesn't even do that, although he could. He does say, by the way, on all of this, look, at, you should do what the Lord tells you this way. But listen to the way he addresses it in verses 7 through 9. I don't want to see you now on the way. But I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. Do you see that there in verse 7? Does everyone see that? Please hear me. The intent for Paul was fellowship and relationship. Not tasks. And I've got to be honest, this is a really difficult thing to wrap my head around and heart around because I'm from the Western world like you are. And in the Western world, where we live, we are task-based people. We're not community-driven people. We are individual-based people. Individual people are motivated by guilt. Community-based people are motivated by shame. Very different. Interesting, because Scripture tells us that Jesus actually took away our guilt and shame. He addresses both cultures. Praise God for that. But understand that as human beings, it is really hard to get our head wrapped around those places where relationship is fundamental first, is primary. Because if you're in one of those places, and let's say you go to church there, when a relationship-based place happens, what happens is that church lasts all stinking day. Right? And what happens is, I mean, it's almost hard to tell when it begins. It's almost hard to tell when it stops. And then somewhere down the line, everyone sits outside and the kids all run amok and play with each other while everyone sits around and drinks something somewhere and talks and chews the fat. But somehow in all of that, they're praying for each other and they're addressing issues with each other. And the thing lasts from about 10 in the morning till about 10 at night. And you know what the crazy part is? Next week, everybody still comes again. And they look forward to it. They set it aside. Now, in a task-oriented environment, church needs to have a specific time signature. When do I start? When is it over? What do I have to do? And how do I get out? So I can tick my box. Which of the cultures do you think God is driven by? Because the dangerous thing for us is how we can make people tasks. And none of us like it when it's, when it's us. I had a friend who was actually doing the translation. It's called Seed, uh, Seed Company, where they, with Wycliffe. It's one of their divisions. Where what they do is they go into a community and they learn the language. And as they learn the language, they learn how to translate the Bible into their language. And so whether it's their dialect. And sometimes they really have to work hard to try to figure out how to even bring some of these metaphors to, to light. So it's, it's a really fun thing. Well, well, these particular people were working with this, my, my friend and a few others. And they were, uh, they had been working in a place somewhere in Central or South America. And as they were in that env environment, and that particular environment, by the way, was not Western driven. It was very relational. And here's my, my friend, and he sits down with the, the governor, the man who's sort of in charge of this tribal community, and the man's wife. And he sits down and he says, So how are we doing? He was just about done. They, you know, they were basically just about to hand them the, the manuscript. By the way, this was a community where they had no written language. So they were literally developing a 
written code. If that makes sense. And it was interesting because the, the man, of course, he was a little bit more cordial. It's the wife you always got to watch out for in those situations. And which is good because she's like and she could just tell she was starting to bubble and she was starting to boil and like the lid on the pot started to rattle a little bit. Right. And she finally said, do, do, do you really want to know? Do you want to know? See, now the guy thought my friend thought that they were going to go, you guys, thank you so much. You're going to, you know, this book's almost done. I'm so excited about having this book that I can give to everyone. Oh, you guys are awesome. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what she was saying at all. And she goes, let me ask you a question. And at that point, my friend swallowed hard. Yes. She said, do you love us or are you just trying to get something done? It hadn't even occurred to him. You see, every time he met with someone... Every time that he interviewed someone, it was for the purpose of getting that job done. He never sat and chewed the fat with anyone. He didn't just be. Do you even know the ministry of being? People out there in the world want to see how a Christian is. Not just how a Christian does. It's one of the reasons I eat so dang much. You think I like it? Well, I do like it, so that helps. But there's something about eating as a pastor that I get to be around you. I don't get to. I mean, people just expect a pastor to constantly be doing. And I'm kind of a guy that likes to do anyways. But pray for the people who spend the day with me because, you know, they're going to get a heart attack to keep eating like I do. (laughs) But there's something about trying to just understand this was a redirect for me, too. Because it's like, how do I love you without just doing? How do I be? Does that make sense? So you go to France. You get your meal. The waiter comes by. Got phone, drops by. Checks on it. I always eat. Okay. And then he goes on a holiday. Right? For the next six hours, he's nowhere in the building. And if you're one of those kind of people that food, unfortunately, is a task, you slam that thing down in 10 minutes and you are ready to go. And you look around and go, where in the world is anyone who works here? You're like walking into the kitchen asking a chef, you know, excuse like, what do you, what, he goes like, why did you just got your food an hour ago? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, an hour. That was an hour ago. They're like, you should barely be starting on the second, you know, second course. And you, you know what's so funny? As you watch people, then you actually sit and watch a couple that really does it right. And they're smiling at each other. And they're engaging each other. And they're enjoying each other. And all of a sudden you blink and hours have gone by. Oh, and there's food too. There's just no task anymore. It was just that You were a hose showering people with the love of God. See, this is what Paul said to these people. He said, you know why I'm not going to drop by right now? Because if I dropped by right now, you'd be a task. I mean, you guys are kind of messed up. The church is kind of messed up. And I could go in there like a sheriff and try to really kind of mess things and roll heads. Or, Or how about instead, when I come back around, I'll have more time. And if I have more time, maybe, maybe we can actually enjoy each other. Maybe we can actually sit and... Hey, I want to warn you. You hang out with the pastor, you know what? You're going to find a human being. <laughs> you're going to have to deal with that. But that's part, to be honest. Jesus taught me to shepherd among the, the flock, not above the flock. Which means sooner or later, you're going to bump... If you hang out here, you're going to bump elbows with me. Just so that I'd let you know. Now, we may not bump elbows every time you're in the building. But there's something really cool and special about just being able to be. It's one of the reasons I love to do those kind of things. We go to places like Dirty Burger. You know, I'm not giving a big promo on it. It's the kind of place where the, the burgers, I'm, you, you should see it coming with a name like that. But it's, you know, it's like one of those kind of places you just go and everyone just sort of sits around and we eat. And we just kind of look at you. And, oh, but there's something about even that that's kind of fun. And then when the conversations break up and people start like, hey, let me ask you about something. 
I've always wanted to ask this question, but I've never really been able to. And to be honest, had we not sit there and ate that burger, they probably would never have asked. Listen to the way that Paul puts it. He says, I don't wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you instead, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry. I'm going to stay where I'm at in Ephesus until Pentecost. Let me tell you why I need to stay where I'm at at the moment. There are two reasons. One is a great and effective door has been opened to me. Now, Paul will actually be teaching at the school of Tyrannus. I mean, it's a pretty exciting opportunity. I mean, what Paul has been doing is he's been sharing Jesus. And he's been sharing Jesus. He's wound up basically setting up a headquarters. And what we'll read, by the way, is that according to the book of Acts, that all of Asia Minor, that is the entire western end of Turkey, hears about Jesus from this base. So Paul is actually at this particular moment, he's kind of like a volcano with the gospel. The guy set up shop and this is, and here's the cool thing. He didn't get comfortable. What he did is he got busy, but he got busy in a way so they could really get the gospel out to everyone. And understand, Paul was a really tactical kind of guy. I mean, what you learn about is he would be the easy guy to make tasks out of things. But somewhere down the line, Jesus got a hold of him and said, hey, tasks make sense. Tasks have to get done, but people aren't tasks. The gospel needs to get out. Churches need to be established. Sure. There needs to be places where people could be discipled. Sure. But people aren't tasks. We don't filter them through the machine. We don't have programs and things that we can sift them through and pop them out the other side of Christian or pop them out the other side of a pastor or pop them out the other side of disciple or whatever. Each individual person has a pace and a way to see them developed in such a way so that their uniqueness in Christ becomes paramount. And he looks and he says, you know what, right now, I need to stay where I am because one thing's clear is there is an effective door and I'm going to jump on it. Can I just say this? What you really find important, you're going to be an opportunist in. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is that you really want. You know, you're, you're in your house. You've got two roommates. Both of your roommates coincidentally happen to say that they're leaving at the same time and you think, oh, I can get into internet porn now because they're both going to be gone. That's an opportunity. You're in one of those situations where, you know, all of a sudden your friends have all gone. You're like in some particular environment where you're a little bit more anonymous. And you think, I could kind of get a, you know, hammer down a few drinks until I'm a bit tipsy right now. I mean, after all, nobody else is going to be around to see it. It's an opportunity to do something stupid. Because interestingly enough, that was what was important. And you defy yourself and you give yourself away. By what happens, what you look for opportunities for. You know, you watch the guy that really wants the girls to like him, and he gets on the train. You ever seen this, right? And it's like they find flex points, right? The way they hang from their things and the way they move their things. Everything is a way to make sure that that the upper torso was all flexed. Okay, am I the only one that's noticed that? You know what it'd be like? You would just go. You're like, I get it. And the idea of it, and it's like, you can watch. And it's like, they'll be like, it's like, everything's like mashed potatoes. And then all of a sudden, some girl comes in and it's like, whoop, right, everything gets different. And now he's like power lifting the ceiling. It's an opportunity to impress a girl. Girls do it too. We call it peacocking. Where all of a sudden, everything changes. What is it that you're looking for opportunity for? What is it you're an opportunist in? For Paul, his was to find ways to get people to Jesus. You know what? If I'm, not, if, I'm not, if I'm an opportunist in the opposite direction, I will be completely unready when the opportunity provides itself for me to do so. Does that make sense? And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not even ready. I'm not even ready for that. You know why I'm not ready for that? Because I'm so busy steering in the opposite direction, I'm getting hit in the blind side with that. And I'm going, oh, wait a minute, what? And someone comes over and goes, hey, can I talk to you about God? And you're like, are you kidding me, really? But if that was really important to me, then my heart would be jumping up and down. I would be looking for those moments, wouldn't I? And I'll be honest, there are moments that's totally me and there are moments that's not. 
I'd love it always to be that, that, was a, that I'm always that. I hate being human. But, as much as I want to be a superhero spiritually, I'm going to follow Christ. He's my superhero. Praise God for that. And he says, listen, one of the two reasons, and we're almost done because it's the last verse. He says, one of the two reasons I'm sticking around is I saw an open door. And because I'm going to stay here as long as I can keep this door open. Can I say, when we knew the Lord had called us to London, we didn't know where. I mean, I got in a call in Greenwich. And so, of course, the natural assumption is, well, it's probably Greenwich then. And the Lord's like, I didn't give you a slot to fill in. I didn't tell you that for a purpose. So when we came, I took the pastor that's now the one that we've left to handle the church that we, we, we planted in America. We came here, the two of us. His name's Jack, which is funny because everywhere I turn around, the, the name Jack pops up here. And, and so Jack and I are walking around and we're just praying, Lord, show us where you want us. We walked through so many different areas. People did not give us the time of day. We'd start to talk to people. They were like, whatever. We're done before we started. It's like amazing. They wouldn't, even, they wouldn't even talk about the weather with us. You know you're in trouble when that happens. And we started at King's Cross. And the moment we walked out at King's Cross, there was a gal that said, Hey, can you help me? Sure. Justine was her name. Probably still is. Ten minutes later, she's praying to receive the Lord. We walk up from there and walk into Camden. And we go into Camden. We sit down in one of those places where everyone now, now it's hookahs, right? Back then it was just tea. So, yeah. And we'd sit down and a gal sat down next to me. And she's like, I'm going to kill myself tonight. And I'm like, what? Are you serious? She's like, yeah, I'm serious. I'm like, and you, why, why did you want to tell me? She goes, you just look like the kind of person I should tell that to. Of course. How's that? Had she any idea she was sharing with a pastor? And more importantly, a Christian who loves Jesus. There's some pastors I would be really concerned if she shared it with. But, you know, it's like the, it's a Christian that loves Jesus. That's the point. And, she, and I'm like, well, honey, let's start talking about what it is. And she goes, well, wait a minute. Well, what kind of person are you? And I'm like, what kind of person am I? I'm a Christian who loves Jesus. So she goes, well, I'm a lesbian. And my girlfriend just broke up with me. I go, and you want to kill yourself? She goes, well, what do you have to say about that? I says, I'll tell you what I have to say about that. My God's in love with you. And he doesn't want you to kill yourself. He wants the person that you hate to die. And he wants to create a new person. But you need to be born again for that to happen. And of course, you can guess where it went from there. So we went up and we went somewhere else. No one would talk to us anywhere. Then we walked back to Camden. Some guy tapped me on the shoulder. And we just started talking. He wanted to tell me about how nanobots lived in Jesus and that's how we performed miracles. You know, there's always those. And of course, my, my young pastor, praise the Lord, he was just ready for the fight. He was just, rah, 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 yeah, let me tell you about this. And of course, I'm like, hey, man, wait a minute. And I'm just praying, Lord, get to the heart of it, get to the heart. But he kept bringing up his father, this father thing. And he just kept saying, I'm like, what's up with you and your dad? And the guy breaks down and starts crying. Now, after about two or three of these experiences, Jack looks at me and he says, if you don't know what you're called, you're stupid. It's an effectual door. Do you know why we have studies around London? Because they're effectual doors. That's it. We just want to be where people want to hear. Where we can get Jesus to people. That's it. They're not a task. I mean, otherwise it would be like, okay, church is done, get out. One thing we've learned is we're kind of more like the African church, right? I mean, that's because like we start church and the next thing you know, five hours later, nobody's leaving still. They're still macking on cakes in the other room. Having a grand old time. If you, the moment people ask, how long's your church? And I'm like, 20 meters. <laughs> They're like, no, no, really. I'm like, I, I, that's all I'm going to tell you. If you're the kind that really is going to watch your clock, probably we're not your church. I guarantee you that. But there's another reason he says here. See, when you love people, they're not a task. But there's a part of you that gets protective. And he says, and there are many adversaries. Do you see it there? No, you don't. But now you will. <laughs> he says, for an effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Not just a couple. And let's face it, how many adversaries does it take to ruin your day? One usually is about the answer, isn't it? 
Politics is one nasty person. You could have a hundred people say really nice things to you, but when one person mouths off in a nasty way, isn't that what you usually take to your pillow? How does that work? But see, understand, because Paul is a pastor, and because he does love people, he's not going to leave them in peril. And he looks and he goes, there are some people right now, and their whole mission is to tear this thing apart. And I'm not leaving while that's happening. You know what's interesting? There's a difference between people hating you and people hating the ministry. There'll always be people that'll hate you. I hope you can just get over that. God bless you. Be warmed and filled. That's what you are. The bottom line is if you're serving the Lord, no matter what you do, if you're making progress anywhere, someone's going to stand against you. I mean, if you stand to the left, the right will hate you. If you stand to the right, the left will hate you. If you stand in the middle, they'll both hate you. So now that you know that no matter where you're going to be, someone's not going to like you. Choose your side well. And then stick with it and be strong. Choose Christ. Because at least you'll know that he'll never bail on you and he knows you perfectly. But when people do want to stand against, there's one thing that's like, look at I hate you. Well, then look at if I'm out of, this, out of the picture, well, then they shouldn't have a problem. There's another thing. I just hate the ministry and I just want to tear that apart. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's not going to happen while I'm here. Not on my watch, baby. That ain't happening. But the way that people try to do that is by the same things that are happening in the church. Think about it. Dividing people trying to teach you to be sort of tolerant in areas God says we shouldn't be tolerant in? Those are serious issues. Getting us to identify by things other than Christ, that's where these things are? Beloved, please hear me in this. God never intended for us to be anything but a family. We're not to be, you know, black people on one side, white people on the other, old people in the front, back people, you know, black, young people in the back, or whatever it is. That kind of stuff's so crazy. But what happens is you could go to, well, we have black church. Well, we have white church. Well, we have Asian church. Well, we have young, yuppie, you know, we have hipster church. We have, you know what? How about we have Jesus church? And you could come in any one of those conditions. By the way, praise the Lord. And I love how cosmopolitan our fellowship is. May it even grow to be more so. But look around the room. Are there sections for anything? I think the back rows are for everybody. That's where the pastor goes. Um, but there isn't. There's, I mean, look around. Isn't it beautiful? But I've been to those. Have you been to those? Where it's like, oh, you're the Americans. You guys sit over there. Oh, you're from, oh, you're from Ethiopia. You guys sit over there. I'm like, why? So every, all the Ethiopians can take a family picture? It, don't we love the fact that we get to be different but have Christ in common? So please hear me out on this as we wrap this up. He was not going to leave because there was a great open door and he was, going to, he was going to continue to use it as long as that door was open. But there were also adversaries and he wasn't going to back down just because somebody got in his face. He was going to protect his family because that's what people do. Let's face it, when you love people, you have a heart to see them protected. That's just the way it gets. So from the beginning of this, the church was asking him, and by the way, I want to remind you, this church is mental. This church has gone bonkers. It has become a circus, but he never stopped loving them. And he doesn't even doubt that they're Christian. They're just a little messed up. Like us. He goes, man, I want you to become more like Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? So look, at you guys want to ask about giving? Here's the deal. We should all be helping each other out. You guys are blessed. And Corinthian, by the way, the Corinth as a community was a very wealthy community. So he's like, look, at, I, I, why don't you take those blessings and bless somebody that needs it? And there's a church right now down in Judea, and they're really suffering. They're very poor. They're really getting hammered for their faith right now, and they could really use some backup. And you guys, look, at, seek the Lord, let God tell you what to do with your stuff, and then go use it wisely. And he's like, look, at, speaking of which, and look at Paul. Did Paul ever say that God couldn't touch anything in his life? For goodness sakes, the guy was a traveling evangelist everywhere he went. And he stayed only because it was an effective door and there was adversaries. So he's like, look it, I just want to say I'm, I'm going to come and visit you guys. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to tick a box to do it. I want to, I want to come when I can stay and hang out and just be with you guys. Not just come and try to correct you guys because you guys are all messed up. Hey, when that happens, we're going to have a great time together. Maybe we'll spend the whole winter there. And then after that, you guys help me out. Get me out. But get me out so that I can go love on somebody else. But until then, right now I've got an effective door and there are some adversaries and I'm not backing down for the adversaries and I'm going to push through those open doors anyways. Even if I know that pushing through that open door means somebody else is going to jump out in front of me in there and go, oh, too bad. I'm not going to change. 
So, beloved, hear me as we go to prayer. Where are you at today? Have you told, I mean, we, how many of you actually sang, I give you all, earlier? I mean, did you mean it? I mean, what, was, what did all mean to you? I mean, isn't it great to be esoteric and say, God, you can have everything, and the Lord says, well, then I want you to give that to that person because they need it more than you do. And you're like, no, 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 it's dedicated to you. And God says, if it's mine, this is where I want it to go. And we want to argue with God over whatever the thing is. And sometimes it's stuff we don't even want. It's amazing. We'll fight God over things that it's like a VCR. I'm like, I don't even have tapes anymore. But there's a place in Africa. Could you imagine if God says, look, there's some people right now and they're really, they're really in, in need of clothes. And I want you to go through your closet. And I want you to fill a bag. Would you do it? Now, is there anyone here that if you filled a bag, a rubbish bin bag, you still would have nothing to wear? Okay. Well, then that just means we're being honest, isn't it? I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just telling you, if, we are, if everything is his and at his disposal and we're living in that place, you know what that means? That when the problem hits, when the tragedy arises, we almost get excited, not happy that a horrible thing happened, but happy that we could shine Jesus in that horrible moment. And as a result of that, the peanut press that's in the center of the domo now, everybody there goes to. And the people there, They've all heard about Jesus as a result of that. The well that is just 40 miles north of there, that has been built because nobody had clean water. Yeah, guess what? Everybody gets to hear about the living water every time they come there. And they know it. And you're like, well, that just sounds like you're manipulating people to get God to them. Yeah, okay, we'll call it what you want to, but I'm an opportunist. That's what I am. Everybody is. And so please hear me. If we're going to tell God that it's all his... Don't be surprised if he tells you to do something with it. Would that make sense? Lastly, if you've not accepted this gift of Jesus, let me tell you what my God did. He withheld nothing. He spent his son, the greatest of all things that the Father had with him. And Jesus came to earth and he died on a cross so that your sins and mine could be paid for. And he died there, this horrible, torturous death, because he loves you. Because he wants you. Do you realize that God wants you? But your sin has got to be between us. Between you and him, your sin has got to be between. And so God decided the only way to do that was to pay for it himself. You committed the crime against him, and he took the punishment. Is that grace or what? And Jesus died on the cross, and he rose again, and he simply says, will you accept that gift? That's what I want. I want you to accept that gift. Let my son be your savior. Let my son be your Lord. And let me transform your life. Have you said yes? If you haven't, I want to give you the, the opportunity now as we go to prayer. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful text. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that we have an example in Paul here. But that example is not remotely that of your own son. But Lord, I thank you that you have shown us with Paul what it looks like to be a pastor that loves people. That doesn't want to just kind of visit people and tick, and tick a box. <coughs> been to church, been there, got out. We're good. But Lord, you have clearly put us in a place where we have an opportunity to love one another. And I recognize the reason Paul loved people wasn't because he was a pastor or a church planter. The reason why he loved people was because he belonged to you and you live inside of him. And so you've been conditioning his heart to do so. And as we each, having said yes to you, those who have, as we seek to become more like you, you're going to cause us to love people. And with that, we're going to see the need as an opportunity to shine you. We're going to see that when people are hurting, that we're to call into action, and that all that we own or think we own or possess belongs to you now, and it is at your disposal to do as you see fit with it. So please, Lord, lead us, guide us in this. And Lord, for every believer, myself included, may there be nothing withheld from you to change the world around us. We pray for effectual doors that we could be opportunists to get your gospel to the lost, that we could get your truth to the struggling, your hope, Lord, to those who are despondent, your deliverance to those who are in bondage. 
We pray, Lord, that you would give us no fear for the opposition. And there, they, though there may be many adversaries and even outspoken ones that seek to divide Christians and, and bring in things that are not even real true Christianity in and just call it okay and, and all that, Lord, let us not be wavering or fearful, but know that you are bigger. To say, even as the psalmist, I will not be afraid of the ten thousands of men, even if they set themselves all around me, because you, O God, are a shield for me, Lord. You are the lifter of my head. And Lord, I pray right now that we would resolve that in our hearts. And right now, with the sound of this voice, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And if at the end of it you agree, and that's why I'm asking you to listen, I want you to give a confident, resounding amen. And what you're saying is, okay, I accept this gift of Jesus. Okay, I confess Him as my Lord and Savior. Let those words be my words now. Let that prayer be mine. And here it is. God, I come to you as a sinner like everyone else. And I know, Lord, that that sin must be punished somehow. But you so love me that you didn't want to punish me for it. So you sent Jesus to die on the cross so that all of my sin could be punished. And there Jesus became my Savior. And just as your scripture promised, three days later he rose again to offer me new life now. Adopted by you, Father. To be loved by you. To be transformed and born again. And with that, you ask me to hand my life over to you and I say yes. I may not understand everything, but I understand that much. That I accept the gift of Jesus, confessing him as my Lord and Savior. And ask you to take my life now and make it something beautiful. So here I am, I'm yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.